Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com, I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you, grow along the journey of life with others, develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost, and then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ. Now, on to our weekend message. I don't know if you've ever had the uh, wake-up moment when you realize that you're just going through the motions. You ever had that where you're maybe at work and you're punching the clock, you're doing the thing, whatever it might be, and you get to the end of the day and you thought, my heart wasn't even in it. I know we've all had that driving, right? Where you get to, you get home, you're like, how did I get here? <laughs> I don't remember that. We just kind of, you know, sleep drive, which is real dangerous. Um, but we kind of sleep work, right? Sometimes we kind of sleep... Mary. We kind of just go through the motions and what was once very meaningful to us has somehow turned into something that's just mechanical. Uh, we're doing the motions. We're doing what we need to do. We're a student. We're going to school. We're a teacher. We're teaching the kids. You know, we're going to work. We're, we're doing it and it's important what we're doing, but we kind of wonder, why is my heart no longer in it? I don't feel what I used to feel. As a pastor, I encountered this a lot. People lose a loved one. And maybe a husband or a wife, they lose a son or daughter. And yet they still can't stop the habits that they used to have. They may even keep the room the same way. In grieving, they may even set the table with that placement for that person. Because they just, it's just by rote. You just kind of do things and you stop and you go, why did I do that? It happens in marriages. It happens in a lot of ways in life when we just kind of do what we've always done, but our hearts have really kind of grown distant from the purpose or reason why we started doing in the first place. I know we do it spiritually. I'm not so naive as a pastor to think that when we come to church every weekend, that it might just be that in our heart, we're far from this place. I mean, because I've done it before. I know you've done it. We come to church, we sing our songs, we pray our prayers, we listen to our messages. You know, we do those kind of things and we go home and there's just no flavor to it, right? We just don't taste anymore. Uh, It's just kind of bland. Because our heart is really disconnected from the purpose that we originally did it, right? And and that's a season of life. It kind of comes and goes, ebbs and flows. I know that. I know that personally because I entered into a crisis point in my faith uh, when I was in college. I had been a brand new believer for a few years, growing in my faith. But then something tragic happened. And what tragic happened to me was that I had some successes. Um, I was my junior year of college and I was a, a resident assistant in the dorm. I was leading a whole dorm of men. I was shepherding them. And I was the lead resident assistant of that, of that floor. And then I was also in student body activities. I was the president of my fellowship, which was kind of a fraternity sorority thing. And then uh, to top it all off, and this was the icing on the cake, I had the best looking girl on campus. And hands down, all the guys said, how'd you get her? I said, I don't know. She must be blind. Um, <laughs> but I tricked her. And, uh, and And yet along the year, I disconnected from God. I mean, I was still doing the activities. I was was reading my Bible. I was praying. I was doing that stuff. I was going to chapel, going to church. 
But see, my own pride and sin uh, caused me to act outwardly in the way I'd always acted, but inwardly to be really far from the true motive of love toward God and others. And my heart grew cold toward God. I didn't notice it at first. All of a sudden, I had one of those wake-up moments where I realized, just, you know, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, but what's the point? It just is not real anymore for me. And then my heart began to harden. And it was only through a series of very unfortunate events where I had to come crashing into uh, the reality of my sin and brokenness that I realized I had a hard heart. I had a hard heart. And the worst part was I didn't know that it was possible to recover because nobody had ever taught me about that. Nobody ever explained that. I didn't hear sermons about that. I didn't understand that even followers of Jesus could develop a hard heart. That externally... We could, you know, be in church singing, praising God. It could all look good on the outside, but inside we could be dead. No one ever said that that's a possibility. In fact, not just a possibility, a probability of your life. That we come, we sing, we do our activity, and we walk away, and internally we're dying. And it was only God's grace as I was processing through the Psalms that this Psalm uh, connected with me. It's a Psalm that is, is beautiful and it, it, it really works well in church until you get to the end of it. When it talks about hard heart and pastors don't ever talk about that. In fact, I've never heard this, the last, this whole Psalm preached in church before because it's messy. Because churches don't like messy stuff. They like neat, nice little prayers and wonderful things like that. And let's all say amen and go home, right? We like that stuff. But that's kind of a facade if we're not careful. Psalm 95. If you grab your Bible, page 457 in your chair Bible, we're going to dig through Psalm 95. Now, it just so happens that this Psalm is divided into three distinct parts. And I I always say this, but it's important. I don't preach three point sermons. I preach pointless sermons. And um, and that's okay. I get it. I understand that. We just walk through the message. But there are three distinct points in this message. And uh, just in case we rush through some things, uh, the sermon notes will be out in the back if you want to grab some of these thoughts or verses or quotes or things like that. But Psalm 95 is a great church psalm. It really is. I've, I, I've heard this. I've heard songs about this. It starts off by, by looking up in praise. And it's perfect for church. It's perfect for Christians. Look at this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. It's happy. It's happy. We like happy stuff. We want to feel happy. We want to feel good. And so this is a perfect psalm for that. And I've heard a lot of sermons on the first part of this. But what's fascinating about this is that this is kind of really what we should be doing as people of God. If we understand what it says. The first of all, it says here the word come. It says that a couple times. But the, the words have different backgrounds and meanings because they're different original words. So the original word here for come in Hebrew, come let us sing for joy to the Lord, is a uh, spatial word come. Like we travel from one one place to the next. So we all come from our homes. We get in our cars. We come here. That's that word come. Come into God's presence from wherever you were to this place. Now, the Psalms were often written very specifically, purposely for the nation of Israel. Many of them are related to the seasons, the festivals. So God's people, the Jewish people, they had assigned times when they were all required to come to the city of Jerusalem, to the temple and worship God. And so from wherever you were outside, 
outside, inside the nation. You would leave what you're doing. You would stop. You'd bring your tithe, your offerings, your animals, whatever it is, your family. You'd make the trek to Jerusalem and you would then come to Jerusalem. And so some of the Psalms were specifically written for that. There's a section called the Psalm of Ascents, where when you would finally arrive to go up to Jerusalem, Jerusalem was on the top of a hill. And so no matter where you came from, north, south, east, or west, you were always going up to Jerusalem and you sang these or repeated these or shouted these words with your fellow travelers and pilgrims as you would make your way up. And many believe that Psalm 95 is a part of that, that it's an invitation from wherever you are in the nation to come together as God's people. So it works well for us as followers of Christ because we've all come to church, all right, except those of you watching on podcast, you're in your pajamas. Um, but, but the rest of us had to put clothes on and we came here and we came from where we are, were and we came into this point where we're now in this room and we're singing, okay? That connects with us, right? He says here, come and let us sing for joy to the Lord. Then he goes on and he says, which makes a lot of us Baptists nervous, we shout to the Lord. Pentecostals, you're happy, you're having a good time. Let us shout. Shout to the Lord, Christine, you're shouting. Uh, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. So let's come together spatially. Let's come together. Let's sing to God because he's the rock of our salvation. We're going to shout about it, about the joy we have. And then he says, let's come before him with thanksgiving and extol or praise him with music and song. But this word is different. This is a different uh, word, come. And it, the idea isn't spatial, it's relational. And, and it's an invitation to come into the presence of. So you would use that if you were invited, uh, say, to the king's palace. Sure, you had to spatially move it, but it was about a relational invitation to come. And it means this face to face with someone. So you come face to face with someone. And that's a, that's really important. That's a step, a step to get to Jerusalem, but to actually come face to face with God at the temple. That was a pretty amazing thing. And so even for you and for me today, we come together relationally to worship God. Now, I mean, think about this. The Bible declares that when we worship and we usually make that synonymous with singing, but worship is more than that. But let's talk about singing. When we sing our songs, when Pastor Aaron and Jamie are, are leading us in worship this morning, we're singing the songs. It's possible that we've sung that song so many times that we're not even thinking about it. We're thinking about what we're doing after church today, right? We've already decided we're, you know, putting our little notes down or we're, you know, putting something on Facebook or whatever. We're emailing someone because we're on to the next thing. But the idea here is that when we come together, we sing for joy and we shout to the Lord, but we realize we're coming face to face with God. They were actually experiencing God. Now I know he's invisible. I know it's ethereal, but there is a presence of God in this place. And when we sing for joy, shout aloud, we're invited not just into this room, but to come face to face with God. And so we come face to face with God. And it says here that we come before him with thanksgiving. We're acknowledging all the good things he's done. That he gave us these things. That he's the one that provides everything. And then we extol him or praise him with music and song. So this is this idea that we're focused upward. We're focused on God as a people. Now what the psalmist does here is he explains, for him at least, 
why he's moved to do this. He says, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry ground. So what he's doing is explaining why he's excited about coming together and coming face to face with God. Because he's going to thank God for the mountains. He's going to thank God for the seas. He's going to thank God for all that. And that's really good because he has a list of why he's thanking God and why he's praising God. I hope you have a list. I hope that if any moment you could think about, God, you're worthy because. God, I worship you because. What is it? I mean, very practically, he's talking about mountains. That's one of mine. It's on my list. Mount Hood is on my list, right? Especially when you can see it, okay? You know, when it's there, when the mountain's out, right? And when, when you're on TV, the only time I like TV highway is when I see Mount Hood and the, the sun is on it. It's gorgeous, right? I don't care getting stuck on TV highway that way with traffic because I'm looking at the mountain. It's like Mount Hood is on my list. I've been to the top of the mountain. Sounds like MLK. I've been to the top of the mountain. I have. I've been to the top. I've been to the summit of Mount Hood and looked down. It is gorgeous. It's beautiful. Uh, what, what's on your list? Is it, is it uh, creation? I, I love it. The stars, you know, the meteor shower, the sun or lack thereof next week, you know. Um, what's on your list? Is it the ocean? I love the ocean. I love to go to the beach. It, it, it's on my list. I, go, I love the gorge. It's beautiful to go hiking in the gorge. The gorge is on my list. I have a long list. Johnny Cash is on my list. He is. And I think he deserves every list. Okay. Um, but Johnny Cash, uh, as a little kid up till Rick Rubin's records with him, it's like, I love Johnny Cash. I thank God for bringing Johnny Cash into the world. And if you don't believe it, you need to listen to him reading the New Testament in King James. It'll change your life. Okay. It's awesome. The man in black. What's on your list? Pizza's on my list. I kid you not. I thank God for pizza. Cheese. When I was a little kid, it was that sliced stuff that they called cheese. That's not cheese. I looked at the other stuff. I go, Ooh, that's kind of crazy. Then you get older and you go, I like that kind of cheese. When it's crumbly and there's some colors in it, it's like, that's the best. Then you combine cheeses. It's like heaven on earth right there, right? What's on your list? Uh, you know what's on my list? Cars from the mid to late 60s. I mean, I think God did something awesome in Detroit. And those designers' hearts, when they drew up the Mustang or the Camaro, it's like, that's on my list. I like those cars, those engines. There's something about that that moves my heart. I see those things and I go... God is great and he gave us the ability to create under him and now we can express that with beautiful things. So you have a list. I hope you have a list. I hope you talk about that list. I hope that's on your list and you admit that. So those are some of the things. The psalmist here has a list and it's about mountains and streams and seas and things like that and those are on the list. Do you ever stop to thank God for what's on your list? It could be people. It could be places. It could be God. I just thank you for... You know, Kona, it's such a beautiful city, you know, or I thank you for the beauty of, I was just with my family, drove them down to California, flew back. I went to my uh, hometown of Petaluma and, uh, you know, Golden Gate Bridge is there. You know, you look and you, I, I, I took my kids the very first Slurpee machine I ever had 40 some years ago. I had a Slurpee 1975 and this 7-Eleven, I took them to that 7-Eleven. I bought them a Slurpee. I had a Coke and banana Slurpee just like I did 42 years ago and it tasted just as bad. Uh, but <laughs> it's a whole lot of sugar, which is great when you're a kid, you know, um, I, I took him to Bodega Bay. I remember going there as a kid. I remember that. I showed him the birds. I remember Hitchcock. You know, I love that stuff. What's on your list? I thank God for the creativity, not just that he's created, but he's allowed other people to create. When you think about coming together and celebrating, what's on your list? What causes you to lift your heart up to God, to come into his presence and go, God, man, I feel you. I see you all around me. And I want to just tell you about it. I want to thank you for that. The Psalm writer has a list. I hope you have a list. 
you go, this is just one of those things that blows me away. Uh, you go on to the next part of the psalm, not just look up in praise, but look down in worship. And this, again, is very churchy. It works for us. He says, come, again, an invitation to come together. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. This is a beautiful imagery here. He says, come, let us bow down in worship. So we've been looking up, now we're looking down. Because when the worshipers would come in the, in the biblical times, they would fall down. Now the word itself to worship in the Old Testament is the idea of kneeling down. If you're older, your knees struggle with that. But uh, to kneel down, because when a camel, think about this, in the desert, in the Middle East, when a camel, this great big animal, would kneel down, its knees would touch the ground. That right there was the word that meant to worship, to kneel down, to fall before, to come let us bow down and worship. Now, very, very, you know, much a picture of submitting yourself. And in the Bible, they would also prostrate. They would lay themselves flat before God because it's an acknowledgement that God is high and we are low and when we get into that right perspective with God he is the great God and we're his servants in fact that's what goes on with this passage it says bow down and worship let us kneel before the Lord our maker we're not the creator we're not God he's the creator he even made us so we bow down before him and that was how it worked in the culture we don't have much of a culture of respect anymore for our authorities, but, but there used to be, at least in the biblical time, we see pictures of this where we would respect people. I still teach my boys to say sir and ma'am to people, although that's kind of anachronistic in our world today. But I even say it to people. I, I just was raised to say sir or ma'am. It's a respect issue, right? And so I teach my sons through that. But I want to acknowledge that you have a position or you have a place and I'm submitting myself in that. And so they would do that when they would come to worship. They would kneel down. They would fall down. My grandparents' church, my grandma and grandpa, my mom's side, we would go to that church, a Wesleyan church in Indiana, as a little kid. And they had a moment in the service when we would all kneel down. I I loved it as a kid because it made coloring easier on the pew. Um, I didn't get it, but at least it was kind of cool. They had wooden pews, and, and this was like a real church. There were no mats. There were no cushions. We were serious Christians. It was hard wood. That's how much we love Jesus. And then in this time, we would, we would kick out this little kneeling bench. If you've been at church like that, you just kick out the kneeling bench and you turn around and you kneel down. And it was your posture. You were acknowledging we're, we're submitting ourselves, kneeling down, getting low before God and a time of prayer. It was really a great, a great thing. And when you would go to the king, when you would go to someone who was your master in the biblical time, you would go, you would kneel down, you would take a knee, you would bend a knee down. Um, if not, you weren't showing respect, you'd get your head taken off and you'd go home shorter. Okay, um, so it was important. So they said this, 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 come, let us bow down. This writer says, let's fall down before God and worship. Let's kneel before him, our maker, for he is God. He's our God and we are the people of his pasture. So he's God, we're sheep. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. It's an acknowledgement of our place versus God's place. You know, it's not, it's not that we have done anything. It's we're responding to his invitation. To do great things in our lives. And the, the, the metaphor there is that, that we're sheep. And sheep are not the smartest creatures on the earth. And they go astray. And they do all kinds of things. You can read about that in the Old Testament. God called the, 
the priests, the people, uh, shepherds over. Some were good, a lot of bad shepherds. The people were sheep. David wrote about it in Psalm 23. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, so I'm a sheep. I need the, the, the pastures. I need the calm water. I need when I go astray to be brought back. I need all those things. There are predators around. I need God's protection. By the time of Jesus, he comes and he says in John 10 that I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And so that's who we are. We're the sheep. We need a leader and we follow him. So this is about submission. The first one is about looking up and praising God. This is about getting down and submitting to him. And then the third part of the psalm is the part that just seems like out of the blue. Where does this come from? And I I don't hear this. I've never heard this part preached. And it's now about looking in and realizing uh, we need to repent. I think it's beautiful. Some writers look at this and say, these were two psalms. I think they're perfect as one psalm. They're great. Look at this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. Uh, How does that fit with singing, shouting, and bowing, right? Well, now you've heard the word. How will you respond to the word is the question. And the psalm writer says, honestly, as a people of God, we haven't done well following God's word. We're kind of really poor at listening and obeying. We're not that good. And he urges the followers of God for you and for me today. uh, Be careful that your heart doesn't go cold. Be careful your heart doesn't begin to harden. Be careful that you don't become mechanical when it should be meaningful. Because it happens to all of us. It's it's a natural thing for us to forget the reason why we do it and just keep doing it. And then we're really far. On the outside, we look great. But on the inside, there's this big void. Be careful that you don't harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. Well, what's this Meribah and Massa stuff? Don't name your kids that, by the way, because Meribah means quarreling and Massa means testing. Although, sounds like kids I know, okay? Um, That could be my nickname for my kids, quarrel and test, okay? All right, or one of them, who knows? All right, so Meribah, see, here's the deal. God brought his people out of Egypt. They were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. They were in bondage, slaves making bricks. God, through Moses and Aaron, rescued them out of Egypt, out of slavery through the ten plagues. These miracles of God passed through the waters of the Red Sea, got to this place where God gave him, gave them the law, the ten commandments, all the commands, his teaching to them. And they were his people. He called them their own. But along the way and along the journey, they failed and they faltered. In fact, what they did was they began, they began to mumble. And they begin from mumbling, they went to grumbling and from grumbling, they went to stumbling. And that is the story of all of our hearts, if we're honest. And the nation of Israel, the Hebrews, uh, they, they got mad at God. They, they found every kind of fault possible with God. This God who had delivered them and rescued them. They said, we want to go back to Egypt. Slavery was much better. It's like, yeah, right. Seriously, yeah, at least I had leeks and garlics and onions. I'm like, that's all you got? That's not the best, right? If there's some Gouda cheese in there, it might sound good. But but seriously, you want to go back to slavery? Yeah, at least I had that. It's crazy that we as a people would want to go back to bondage. We do it all the time, even as Christians. We run back to that thing that just, just wraps around our heart. 
and causes us to draw away from God. So the story of Meribah is that they quarreled with Moses. That's what Meribah means. It means quarreling. And so they quarreled with Moses, God's spokesman there, God's appointed person, and they were mad at Moses. How dare you do this? You've done this. They quarreled. And then, and then Massa is testing. They put the Lord God to the test. And they said, we don't think that you can care for us out there. We don't have food. We don't have water. And so because of the quarreling and the testing, it resulted in their hearts being hard. And God said, you're not going to get the blessing. You're not going to get the promised land. In fact, you're all going to die out here. You're going to wander for 40 years and your kids are going to get it. And all those who didn't see the original miracles, they are going to go receive the blessing of God. So the writer of this psalm says, now in all this singing and shouting and bowing and all this stuff, that's awesome. That's good church stuff. Don't forget your heart because your heart could be very far from God in the midst of all that. So be careful because God can get angry. God can get to the point where he says, you know what? Your heart is astray with that. God said, they will never enter my rest. Now, we know that in the New Testament, because the book of Hebrews tells us that that is the idea of salvation, that Jesus is the one who gives us rest, that we can even fight and quarrel with God in our spiritual lives. Again, I'm a pastor. I'm not naive. I know that I can do this. I have done this. I know you do this. You've done this. That we get to the point where we're fighting with God. Even though we've come into a relationship with God, even though we've received forgiveness of our sins, we still kind of get back on the throne of our lives and we want to lead our lives, right? Through pride, we want to lead. Through sin, we want to do this. It's possible for you and for me. It's not just for the Old Testament people. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says it really well. When he quotes Psalm 95, he says this, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. This is Christians now. Be careful now, my brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Yeah, he's talking to you and me. Make sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. It's possible, my friends, for you to be here even today and if truth be told, your heart is cold, your heart is hard, your heart is stony against God. It happens. I know it, in a big way it happened to me, but I didn't even know it was possible to come back. Uh, many uh, years later, my wife and I were married and we were at our folks' home and a friend of, of her family, Susie, uh, gave me this as a Christmas present. It's a stony heart. And so I opened it and I thought, yeah, what's the message here? Uh, uh, seriously, I'm thinking like, um, thanks? She said, uh, you know, James, I'm in ministry, and she was a great lady. She was uh, Child Evangelism Fellowship. She was in children's ministry in Tijuana. She was a missionary down there. Led hundreds and hundreds of kids to Christ. Did all kinds of wonderful things. She said, in ministry, your heart can get hard. I'm thinking, you're right, because I've had it happen. Even as a pastor, I've had my heart go hard and cold. So uh, take this as a reminder. This, is, this sits on my desk at home as a reminder that even doing all the good stuff for God or whatever your position is, you start to think of yourself in a certain way. Your heart can be hardened. You could be a follower of Christ for a year and you're going, I can never imagine that happen. But if you've been a follower of Christ for 10 years, you go, yeah, I can, I can understand that, James. You're not in agreement that there are seasons of our lives when we just go through the motions and it's mechanical, but there's no longer a meaning to it. We're like robots. We're just punching the clock spiritually. 
And, you know, for me, I was even reading the Bible. I was even praying. I was even going to church. And outwardly, I was a model Christian. But inwardly, I was dying inside. But the worst part of it was I didn't know how to get out of it. Because nobody preached messages like this. Nobody addressed this issue. Nobody said, hey, be careful. Your heart can become hard against God. But my heart was getting hard and my heart was dying. And as I was journeying through the Bible, you know, I, I tell you, so I read the Bible through every year. I just finished Jeremiah this morning. Oh, man, it's just desperate where the Babylonians are going to get beat up, too. And I'm going to get into lamentations tomorrow. Pray for me. That's really depressing. OK, um, but, you know, it's like that's I was reading the Bible and I encountered a passage of scripture in Ezekiel of all places, the prophet. And first of all, it hurt. But secondly, it gave me hope. Look at this in Ezekiel. It says this, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Now, I needed that, my friends, because I didn't think there was hope. Nobody mentored me through this because I thought, well, maybe I'll never get back to the joy of my salvation. Maybe I just have to languish doing this over and over again. Um, But God said, just for me, he's talking to, you know, Israelites, he's talking to me. I will take your cold, stony heart and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. A little thing on the way out today. Um, if you find yourself in this situation, I want to give you this little booklet, My Heart, Christ's Home. It's, this one's a Billy Graham version, but uh, it's just a simple old story about giving God all of your heart. And I'll be in the foyer. All you got to do is just come up, look me in the eye. I'll hand it to you. Be my prayer for you. I'll just hand you this little book. It's great. We've all been there. You might be there right now, or you might have someone around you that's there. It's a great little resource for helping you. So what are the causes of a hard heart? What are the causes? Well, I know in my life, persistent sin, uh, Paul says to Timothy in chapter four, he says, uh, be, be really careful because there are people that have sinned so much that they've seared their, their, their conscience. They've, they've deadened their ability to discern right or wrong. They've warped their understanding of what's true. And sin can do that for you. Persistent, unrepentant sin can tweak your understanding of what's good and bad. Persistent sin, uh, pride, Obadiah. Again, all the prophets talk about this, but Obadiah 3 addresses that in the nation of Israel. Because it's so much the story of the Old Testament. So much the story of you and me. Is God blesses us, gives us everything, and then we turn and we... It's about us now, right? We become prideful. Or pain and disappointment. This could be you. Uh, Paul writes in Romans 5 that all this struggle in our life, we can persevere and have success through it and cling to God. But I know the, the opposite is also true. That there are some people, when they come through these and walk through these difficult waters and the fire and testing, it doesn't make them better. It makes them bitter. And as a result, they're angry with God because of losses and disappointments. Pain and disappointment can do that. It can cause you to develop a cold heart. What are the cures though? And this is what helped me. The cures of a hard heart for a hard heart. Recognize your hard heart. It's step one. Instead of AA, it's HH. So we start a new ministry here. Sunrise HH. Hi, I'm James. I have a hard heart. Just recognize it, right? We have NA. We have AA. We have recovery. We're going to have to start HH here. You know, I have a hard heart. Okay, join the club. All right, we're, we're there. Just admit it, confess it, recognize it. Now, what David writes in Psalm 139, 23 to 24 is simply this, is that it's an invitation for God to search us. That's a great prayer. Search me, oh God. Know my heart. Peel me away all the really good looking stuff and dig deep into the depths and reveal any waywardness, wickedness 
in me and lead me on a path that's back toward you. Uh, to, just to recognize it, repent of unconfessed sin. John 1 says, hey, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar and there's no truth in you. <laughs> so let's admit, let's confess our sins and let's find forgiveness in God. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful and just. He will. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we confess our sin and then we renew our heart. Uh, how we do this is with the word because the word comes through and God's spirit uses the word. In fact, Paul says to Timothy is that the word of God is so great. It's so amazing for us. We immerse ourselves in it. It is sharp. It is able to cut deep and it will rebuke us. It will correct us. It will point out the problems. It will get us back on the right path and it will strengthen and train us to go down the right road. That's what the word of God does for us. So we immerse ourselves in the word of God. In community, in some group, in small group in church, let's find a place where we're allowing the word of God and the people of God to build us back to strength. So I just want to offer a prayer for you, an opportunity uh, after service to come to that point of saying, you know, I think my heart has gotten a little hard and you'll just come to me in the foyer and I'll group, grab just one of these and hand it to you. And it's a journey back. You could also pick up the sermon notes because I put all these things in there. I saw somebody taking a picture of the screen. You don't have to do that. Um, all the verses and all the things I was supposed to say at least are right here. And uh, don't send me a ser- an email saying, hey, you were supposed to say this. I know that. Um, causes of a hard heart, cures, the verses. But most importantly on the back, Pastor Kevin and I each week put together for you discipleship activity steps. Part of the pathway of understanding um, how to walk the message out. It's not just for your head, although there's some head in there. There's some heart and hands as well. And so this week it's broken up into, you know, really looking up a couple questions, looking down a couple questions, and looking in a couple questions. They're right at the door as you leave on the way out. And we'd love to get those to you so you can continue processing this and walking through this. One of the best things you could do this week is to find another follower of Christ. Could be in your family, could be in your group, could be at work somewhere and just say, hey, can we take a minute? I want to tell you, my heart has gotten a little cold. My heart has gotten a little hard. Share a little bit about why, perhaps, and then have that person pray for you. We need the family of God, the community of God, to point out our sin, but to more than that, to point us back to the place of strength and health so they can walk with us and the word and the spirit come together. And man, life can be different because there is hope for you. When I was in that hopeless position because of my pride, because of my sinfulness, because of my rebellion, I didn't know that it was possible to come back. And I felt lost. But I'll tell you this, it's possible to come back. Anybody that's walked with God for years knows that there are even seasons where our heart beats with flesh and then our heart gets a little cold. So let's just be honest about that. We can quarrel, we can put God to the test. But the reality is he wants us to have a soft heart for him. Then we can sing, then we can shout, and then we can bow down and come face to face with this God in truth, in truth. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that we would be the kind of people that are honest before you, people of integrity. Even if we feel distant and cold and uncaring right now, God, may we confess that to you, whether it's brokenness of repentance over our sin, acknowledging our sin. Maybe because of pain, because of suffering, we've distanced ourselves from you. You've disappointed us. Maybe you've angered us. We see it that way. You've fallen and you haven't picked us up. We, we thought you made promises and you haven't come through. God, may we just express all that in community. May we, we get it out and may we find, really, the truth is you love us. You're our shepherd 
You're our father and you care for us and you're calling us back to brokenness and repentance. You're calling us back to integrity, to wholeness with you. And you can take the hardest heart in this room and you can soften it to beat with flesh. God, if we're here and we've never entered into your rest, as the psalm writer writes in Hebrews later says, it's about Jesus. May we enter into your rest today through Christ. May we come, we confess our sin, find forgiveness in Jesus and a brand new life. And then we enter into rest and we quit fighting you. We quit quarreling with you. And we can rest because Jesus has done the work. We pray in his name. Amen.